This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Barnes & Noble may very well be the subject of a bidding war. On Friday, news came out that the chain bookstore was going to be sold to hedge fund Elliott Advisors for $638 million. Elliott also bought British bookstore chain Waterstones in 2018. The Wall Street Journal now reporting that book distributor ReaderLink is working on a bid that could surpass the one made by Elliott. The news that Barnes & Noble could be bought is easing some fears that the retailer might have to close its doors altogether like its competitor Borders did several years ago. The company, by the way, Barnes & Noble, has had four CEOs in the last five years. Sales have been on the decline steadily. But does a new owner mean a new path to success for Barnes & Noble? Joining me in studio, Barbara Kahn, professor of marketing here at the Wharton School and co-host of Marketing Matters here on Sirius XM 132 every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Also joining me uh, on the phone, Ray Weimer, who's professor of retail practice at Syracuse University's Whitman School of Management. Barbara, great seeing you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Ray, great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, so we'll start with that question. Does a change in management, change in ownership mean that Barnes and, uh, Barnes and Noble is going to find this this secret sauce, Barbara? Well, hopefully. I mean, we can always hope. I think that they've been, to this date, not really changing enough to reflect the changing retail environment. And if they do do something that changes, perhaps there's an opportunity for them. Obviously, going against Amazon and books is a difficult position. I think Amazon has something like 80% market share in books online and maybe 70% overall. I'm not sure of those numbers, but they're high. Yeah. And Barnes & Noble has just not given customers a reason to come into their store so far. But there are possibilities. We can talk about that as we go on. I think there are things, and obviously the bidding war is reflecting that, that there is some value in the Barnes & Noble book chain. But will they do it? I don't know. Ray? I I think it's interesting. They have been profitable. Barnes & Noble has been profitable. Could they, if if the one bid from Elliott Advisors go through, could they repeat the playbook that Waterstones uh, turnaround came about? Because you're not going to on Amazon, you're not going to outdo Amazon at what they do really well. I, I think it's very very different not knowing about the the, the more recent uh, buyout offer from ReaderLink what they think they're going to do, because I don't know. This would be a new territory for them because they, they've really been at the back end in terms of their business in selling to uh, mass marketers throughout the country, not really bookstores. And they're really more in the, in the, in the publishing distribution side of things, right? That's correct. So the, then what is it that you say, Barbara, that, that Barnes & Noble really has missed on? What are the changes that, that you think that that this entity as a whole needs to make. Well, I mean, one of the things, just to comment, the idea that the new bidders in publishing is interesting because that is a role that Barnes & Noble can play that Amazon does not play. It's a different customer base. So to to recognize new writers and to find a place to really promote new writers traditionally was done in bookstore events and things like that. And Amazon just doesn't do that much of that. It's not that kind of place. You go to Amazon to search kind of what you already know, and maybe you look for recommendations, but it's not about really promoting new writers and really, really helping the publishing industry. And I do believe the physical bookstore can play that role if it's done right. But Barnes & Noble, I think historically, to answer your original question, I just don't think it's given uh, 
customers a reason to come into the store. You want to drink coffee or go to a restaurant. There are smaller, easier restaurants to go to. You want to buy a book. It's just easier to buy it online, even yeah. if you want a physical book. Right. I, I think uh, the one big thing they, they missed is not only missed, what they tried to strategize on, they bet heavy on the Nook and the eBooks yep. going head-to-head with Amazon. They got a little bit of a late start, which I think hurt them. And, and we can see now within the last year they're pulling all of all – they used to try to hand-sell you the Nook in the store. They've gotten rid of that. So I, I think there was a miss there in reading that change to the e-reader, although it's not as damaging as it could have been because e-reading kind of plateaued um, in the past two to three years. They thought it was going to take over physical reading. So in that way, it, it helped, even though they kind of missed there. The other thing I think they're kind of late – on, not that they haven't been doing it, is retail has been talking omni-channel for a long time and really trying to synergize or integrate between your online presence and your in-store presence. And really jumping on the bandwagon recently has Barnes & Noble. So they started offering a buy online, pick up on store to give people a reason to go to the store. It also gives them a little more in, uh, the consumer more incentive to go to the store because they can get it instantly instead of having to wait a day or two to get it mailed to them. Uh, other retailers have been doing that. And the other thing I think they miss with the Omnichannel is using consumer data to better understand their customer in different areas of the country. So their assortment could be customized specifically for that customer in that area. Barbara? Yeah, I mean, I agree with some of what you say and disagree a little bit with some. Um, I agree. The omni-channel is definitely the direction of the uh, the retailing in general, and they should be doing it. And I agree with the latter point you made, that Barnes & Noble really need to maximize their customer data and create a customized solution. Uh, and they really haven't been doing that. They're a big box that's just the general trend in retail is to make smaller footprints. You want to go into a store, you want to go into a friendly store. Where the bookstore business is doing well in physical retail is the yeah. independent bookstores. So this big, big box of all this crazy stuff out there is obviously not the way to go. Um, and maximizing the data to localize the assortment and to reflect uh, the community's taste in books would have been a very smart uh, thing they should have done a long time ago. The one thing, though, that I don't really agree in is the idea of using Omnichannel to buy online, pick up in the store. I I just don't think that in books that offers that much of an advantage. You know, maybe you get it right away, but this a book is an easy thing if you're going to read it on your digital or even if you're going to get it delivered. It's just not that hard to get it delivered. It's very different than groceries or something that you really do need right away. So I think the idea of creating this local assortment and really doing something with in-store events and connecting with the publishing industry and coming out with new talent, thinking of it as entertainment in the publishing world, that is something that could really differentiate Barnes & Noble that Amazon can't compete with. You mentioned, Ray, the, the ebook side of this, and, and I found that interesting because in looking at the, the ReaderLink website earlier today, they have an investment in ebooks. And, and so you, you wonder if that gives ReaderLink a little bit of an advantage in this process, if in fact Barnes & Noble really does want to try and go back into the ebook world without having to make the investment, the technical investment, in, in something like the Nook. Right. Uh, I think th- there's a difference, though, when we talk about ebooks as, as a way to easily get and, and consume 
versus like music or audio, I would definitely audio books definitely. It de- ebooks has plateaued. It, it's about okay. um, maybe twenty percent, and everybody thought it was going to be fifty, sixty, and c- continue to be. But it it, it slowed down. Uh, it seems like the consumer likes having a physical book. Not all consumers, but a, a good majority of consumers want to have a physical book for their reading. So to leverage that 20% with ReaderLink, it, it's possible. I think the bigger opportunity would be in audiobooks. Barbara? Yeah, I, I don't have an opinion on that particularly. Um, you know, I think one of the things what I read about the first bidder when they were talking about the stores is the idea of refreshing the stores. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of thing that you see the spiral in physical retail. Their so- sales decline, and instead of building up a reason to go into the store, they, they lay off people. They don't have as many sales associates. They let the stores get down, which is this downward spiral. People don't want to go into boring stores without sales associates. Well, I, I- I guess then it does make you wonder what that if in fact it is Elliot that ends up buying Barnes and Noble, what that relationship is going to be with the Barnes and Noble stores here in the United States and Waterstones over in the UK. You obviously have more of a global perspective on on purchasing book and probably some synergies in terms of moving content back and forth. Yeah. I mean, that would be interesting to see what can be done with that and what can be done with the stores. Uh, uh, Ray seems to know what they did in, in what they did historically with their other bookstore chain. I'm not sure what that was. What was that that they did? Right. Uh, in Waterstones? Yeah. Um, they definitely tried to go to localized assortments by putting the uh, buying power in the booksellers' hands in the regions they're at. So mm-hmm. easily said... Uh, the Barnes and Nobles up here in Syracuse is very different than Barnes and Nobles down in Philadelphia. That you give some incentive power in terms of book selection to the people in the area that best understand the customer, and I just think that they're missing an opportunity of really leveraging their consumer data they have as well right. to further grow that to give it a unique experience coming into the store. Why independent booksellers are doing so well, I think, is they offer that unique experience. There is still conversation between the bookseller and the customer in those stores. And the recommendation isn't data generated like it is on Amazon. And I, I think people like that. Yes, I, I agree. I think that's the opportunity. That's what I'd like to see. There's some other interesting things that they could do if, you know, if they were being innovative. For example, you look at what Kohl's is doing and even Macy's where they're doing store within store. Yep. Their stores are too big so that they're leveraging that. They're using their real estate for other purposes. Yep. I think Barnes & Noble stores are too big right now for yeah. what they're trying to do. So it would be interesting to see if they could do some kind of partnership with a store within store, you know, something that would drive traffic to the store and, and then have these local events and these local assortments. To me, just even as a consumer, that's exciting. I would like to do that. I, I would like to reconnect with the writers and the publishing and the content again. I don't feel like I have that connection on Amazon. So then, Ray, d- does the... The element of Barnes & Noble where you have the cafes and then they're also selling all of these other sundry items, you know, bags and, and, and you name it, at these stores, is that an element to it that, that maybe as this ownership kind of works its way out, that these are elements that they need to consider going away from? Possibly. Um, the, the one big opportunity I see in all that, and, and some people are like, why, why are they carrying this? 
the huge opportunity in the U.S. now with Toys R Us going away is in toys, especially educational toys. Well, yes, so hearing right. Barbara talk about this is like, could they partner with Lego and they have a certain area? They oh, have a play how cool! Area. <laughs> I mean, they have Legos, but well, they they have them in a lot of their yeah. stores in in the in like the kids area. And can you imagine localizing it and doing it with schools or some kind of event like that? Could be a really cool thing. Yeah. And it would give people a reason to go. Absolutely. I mean, that's just one example because I know they carry the products, then partnering with them to have special events, whether it's building, whether it's special offers, that type of thing. But it gives people reasons to go into the store. It, it definitely has to be about the experience in the store being greater than what you can get buying online really quickly. Well, I, I note, Ray, that that their sales numbers from the holiday quarter, they noted uh, a 1.1% gain year over year in their sales during the holiday season. And, and I wonder how much of that is geared directly to the books and how much of that is geared to some of the other pieces that are in Barnes & Noble locations already. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of the, the sales were out. I know there's an opportunity and the thing that whoever takes over Barnes & Noble, if they go with this, they have to be smart about is they're not going to compete. They're not going to compete with Amazon. They're not going to compete with Walmart and Target. It definitely has to be differentiated right. product, whether that's educational, reader-based type products, uh, toys that they want to sell to further kind of synergize the reading of what their store is with that educational or toy basis. So is there something then, Barbara, within, and we've talked with you about the Walmart, Amazon right. thing for a couple of years now. Is there some element that Walmart has done pretty well in their fight, their battle with Amazon that maybe Barnes & Noble could pick up on and, and, and use to benefit themselves? Well, what I think Walmart is a different, playing a different game. They are playing the game of low-cost frictionless, and they're doing it with a different model. So they're using their physical stores and their retail associates to drive people to the store. That's where the omni-channel buy online, pick up in the store works super well. Yeah. Walmart also is doing tight margins on grocery, and then they can make money on some of their higher margin other product categories, so they're selling a lot of different things. Um, Walmart's incredibly efficient. They just announced recently a very interesting thing on delivery where they're going to have their salespeople go into people's home and put the groceries in the refrigerator, which is an <laughs> interesting thing. So I don't think Toys R Us can do that strategy. But I think what you need to look at is what's the customer value. And Ray, you know, introduced an interesting point. Some people still really like physical books. Yeah. Some people like reading. They like the idea of reading circles. They like the idea of book clubs. Turning the page. You know, all of that stuff. There's something in that literary community that they have. Now, if they made re relationships with publishers for, like, exclusive books, which is what some of the other retailers do in fashion or something like that, you get a really big name and Malcolm Gladwell's newest book or Michael Lewis's newest book is only going to be Barnes & Noble. For six months, you can't buy it anywhere else. Else yeah. but Barnes and Noble, and we're going to have events and community things to talk about this and blah blah blah. You can think of lots of different ideas. Um, I think there's a way for them to compete with the value that bookstores can deliver. I don't think they should try to be anybody else. I think they should be what they are or Ray? should be. Right. Uh, I I agree with Barbara here. They they have a unique Barnes and Noble is a really well known brand name. I think across the United States that they have. Stopped because they they kind of 
they followed the whole idea of mass customization. Every store is going to be the same. Every store is going to have all the books. And then in the major cities, we'll have the author signing. There's a real big opportunity. And if the independent stores are showing this opportunity, why not have more book-related events, uh, author signings, exclusive publisher events, whatever that may look like, as a way to get people excited about coming into the bookstore. And that's the investment point of it, where it really hasn't been there as much, Ray, over the last several years, that could potentially drive that extra revenue into the stores. Correct, because what they've been focused on, and Barbara highlighted this a little bit earlier, is Barnes & Noble has been really focused on cost-cutting as a way to prop up the bottom line. And as she noted, it actually hurts your top line at the same time because it's a little bit harder when you have two people instead of five people working to generate as much sales as you were before. So either uh, takeover bid, it definitely needs to be an investment in instead of trying to eke out further cost savings. Barbara? Yeah, and they've been hurt not only by that cost, but they have had, as you noted, how many different CEOs, and they've had management issues. So one of the other things, when I talk to retail executives, what they say is you do need to have the differentiated offering, which I think think there is a possibility for Barnes & Noble to do that. In fact, it's kind of exciting to think about. But you also need leadership. You need leadership to direct it. Now, I don't know enough about the people who are thinking about investing, whether they have that leadership ability, but Barnes & Noble has also suffered recently from really bad leadership decisions. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about Barnes & Noble and a couple of different entities that are looking to uh, potentially buy them. You're joined here in studio by Barbara Kahn here of the Wharton School. On the phone, Ray Weimer of Syracuse University, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account at DanLoney21. One of the other elements of this, Ray, is I would assume that if it was Elliot that was ending up being the, the company to buy them, that there's a pretty good chance that they might take the company private to begin with. And, and that would, at least from the quarterly earnings side of it, would take them out of the public view for a little while where they would have a chance to, to kind of build things back up. Correct. They, they, they wouldn't have to worry about, they'd still worry about the bottom line, but they wouldn't have to worry on a quarterly basis. And the other thing in terms of management, to, to speak to uh, Barbara's point, is James Daunt, uh, who started his own bookstore chain in the U.K., and I think he has nine or 15 small independently run bookstores, uh, was brought on to run Waterstones and, and turn it around. And from what I'm seeing, uh, he's going to be the CEO of both. Right. So I, I think that I would actually help because, it, as I said earlier, it seems like Waterstones has turned it around and they have a playbook with making it much more experiential in the store and localizing their offering for their consumers that it may take some time to get that rolling, but it would seem like there would be a set strategy in place. It would be a little bit harder um, with ReaderLink taking over because, one, I don't know. It's a different kind of viewpoint, right? They're they're trying to get to the end consumer now with uh, acquiring Barnes & Noble that strategy may look slightly different. Right. Yeah, no, a couple of points. The private idea is an interesting idea. We just saw news about Hudson Bay trying to do that, yeah. too. Yeah. And, the, and Nordstrom has been trying for a long time, not successfully. But the idea of staying out of that quarter to quarter and being able to more 
clearly focus on long term. That that I think is a really interesting idea, uh, and I do think that would help them a lot if they could do that. Is there is there a mindset, Ray? That that and again, this is again going to go to the leadership. That that as Barbara said, there is a light there for Barnes and Noble. It's just having that effective leadership, uh, and as you mentioned with Mister Dodd, uh, of having those synergies between Barnes and Noble and Waterstones that uh, that may benefit both sides. I definitely think that there's an opportunity, and what it's going to take, it they're going to have to be investing in the business in a way, whatever that may look like. I know within the past two years with all the leadership changes, one of the things is, is I think they laid off all their, not management, but their, that kind of supplemental level of booksellers that had years of knowledge in store and helping people, they, they let them go. So there's a gap there, and the only way you're going to make that up is you have to invest yes. in the people in the store as well. One other point that I was thinking of, and Ray, maybe you know this, I don't know of this about uh, Waterstone, um, but one thing that Barnes & Noble I don't think did a good enough job on and could be another opportunity is their loyalty programs. And, you know, to speak to what you were talking about with customer data, the loyalty programs not only provides that customer data and customer insights, but it does provide potentially, if it's done right, an incentive to keep coming back into the store. So what you want to do with these local communities, not just have these events, but to really create a community, which means people think about going there and then coming back. And I don't think they've done a good job with that either. Now, I don't know if the other bookstores in the UK have, but um, I think that's another opportunity. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, to, to Barbara's point, one of the big things Don talked about at Waterstones has been the loyalty and engagement piece. And I would agree with Barbara. They haven't really, they have a loyalty program, but they haven't, I, I don't think, fully maximize the potential of that loyalty program to get people in. It seems more like a, uh, a shopper's club card, if you right, will. which to is come not in a loyalty discount. program. <laughs> not, really, not really loyalty in that you, you don't even consider going somewhere else, right? Right. Yeah, so that's an incredible opportunity. I mean, it's kind of interesting to get excited about something again in physical retail, but I do think there's a potential here. It's funny. As, as many times as we've had you on, Barbara, a lot of it is, oh, my God, here they go. They're going down the drain. You're as bright about a retailer as I've seen you in yeah, about three or four I mean, years. I think it would be great. I think the community is severely lacking these kinds of things. Yeah. And there is a reason the independent bookstores are Back, you know, doing well. There sure. is a reason that Amazon started with books. You know, yeah. books matter. Content matters. Great. Great having you in here, Barbara. Thanks very much. Thank you. Ray, great to have you on the phone with us. Thank you. We'll talk to you again. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Barbara Kahn from here at the Wharton School, Ray Weimer at Syracuse University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 